What is the most significant legacy of 9-11? I'm Monica Perez, and this is a false flag flashback. So if you want to listen to this show commercial-free, along with all of my other shows, you can go to my solo RSS feed, Deep Dives with Monica Perez. But today, we have a special feature. So I've never done this before. Hat tip to Bobby for having this idea. There are a lot of false flags that happened before there was a conspiracy research media outlet, alternative media podcasting. So there isn't too much out there on some of the older ones. Of course, there's a ton of stuff on 9-11, but I think it's worthwhile to revisit some of the stuff that uh, our people who weren't like aware, cognizant of 9-11 at the time, probably never even heard about some of the stuff. And here today to help me, I was when I was in my Washington and Oregon White Pill summer, I ran into a couple of fellow podcasters, actually visited them on purpose, and we batted around the idea of doing some of these false flag flashbacks. So to help me today is Nate, the realities are. Hey, Nate, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Monica. Thank you for having me on. This is a fun subject. Isn't it interesting? And uh, I loved meeting your wife and your baby and meeting you in person. I loved the pig's head tacos that you made for me. They were super delicious. The green chili salt. You are really a fabulous chef. And I would love, I'd be honored if you would join us in the tunnels as the head chef, the master chef of the tunnels. I'm, I'm there. Count me in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I still haven't gotten that crazy thing with like a chicken and the eggs in it and rolled up like a big giant sausage. What is that? A ballotine. Yeah. The next time we get together, I'm making you a ballotine. You are the man, like your skills. A lot of people say that they're chefs, but you, my friend, are a chef. It's my one and only thing. And I I can talk. So that's it. I can talk and I can cook. That's fantastic (laughs) because I can make cocktails. Like the tunnels are going to be awesome, by the way. (laughs) Especially, but you're going to have to bring the actual chickens and the eggs. So they're not going to be awesome if we don't have supplies. Okay, so here's the story. That I've been seeing, so 9-11 was just the other day, the anniversary of 9-11. So it's like a little bit relevant because I was seeing these articles still to this day, 21 years later, talking about the conspiracy theories surrounding 9-11. One of the headlines was 9-11 conspiracy theories misconstrue how World Trade Center buildings collapsed. And then another one, which was the absolute, before I knew 9-11 was an inside job, I literally cited on my radio show the Popular Mechanics article. But I don't know how much you know about that, but the Popular Mechanics article was like the not official debunking, but like the private sector debunking. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, all researchers, 9-11 researchers, truthers, whatever, at the time that wasn't a pejorative, knew that the Popular Mechanics thing was... BS. And it's funny because what I want to talk about today actually cites and discusses the Popular Mechanics article a couple of different ways. Do you remember that article? That, I don't. I was pretty young. I was in high school. Uh, or I think I, w- I think I was a freshman. Uh, but I was reading a Popular Mechanics article that somebody sent me today trying to debunk that cars could run on water. Because I'm I'm all about it. I really want that to be true. And they, anyways, they had this whole thing to debunk it. I'm like, this is crap. Well, they're so definitely they're still doing it today. Yeah, they're an intentional thing that was totally contemplated uh, in the battle against 9-11 truth, really. But I didn't I was not awakened to the truth about 9-11 until well, not well into, but a couple of years into my radio career. 
after the Boston Marathon bombing, and I realized that because my objection to 9-11 truth was that they wouldn't do it. I just don't believe that they would kill Americans. And then later I realized, of course, they do it all the time. That's what a draft is. <laughs> so they just drafted bankers instead of high school kids. So, But once I saw the truth about the Boston Marathon bombing, then I realized that they could and did, and then they lie about it. So I knew it was... But that was like 2013. So, I mean, ha I've only been awake to this half of the time since it's happened. So I wasn't aware of the thing I want to discuss today in real time. I wasn't aware of it. It was a 2008 article essay or treatment. I don't know by Cass Sunstein. He co-authored this, this essay called conspiracy theories. And in 2009, he was appointed as Obama's information czar. So I don't know if, if y'all know. So I think actually, why well, do you think that's funny? Because, well, I mean, I guess that it wasn't as official. That's thing. what we named our, that's actually what we named our title after. Yeah. Because they talked about having a reality czar. And so we took that as a. Wow. That yeah. is so awesome. Wow. That's super funny. I did not make that connection. Yeah. Well, that's, this is actually, they say they imply that it is about reality but in fact, they're trying to suppress all questioning of their reality without even proving their reality. So, so Cass Sunstein, for people who don't know, he is actually the most cited legal scholar, I think, ever. I mean, he's alive today. He's a lawyer, a law school professor at Harvard, and he was the information czar. And his specialty is like behavioral insights, behavioral science, getting people, basically his specialty is getting people to do stuff without having to like arrest them or hurt them and just getting them to obey, to cooperate, mm -hmm. to, to make them want to do what you want them to do. And yeah. it's giving me some vibes. What was Freud's nephew? What was it? Uh, I always uh, Edward Bernays. Yeah. He's giving me some Edward Bernays. Uh, vibes. Yeah, yeah. No. definitely. And, uh. and that is how this guy rolls. It's totally about propaganda. It's about that. And he, so he wrote this paper and, but, but since then, let me just flesh out who Cass Sunstein is. So he is a guy who it's all about manipulating people's minds. I guess I didn't, I never really read much of Noam Chomsky, but I'm thinking mm. that it was kind of along those lines. I'm not hundred percent sure, but okay. So this paper, conspiracy theories, he talks about conspiracy theories are a problem. He says, Lately, 9-11 conspiracy theories have been a problem, you know, but just it's generally a problem. And it's kind of ironic because he's this uber liberal. He was Obama's guy. And Obama came in after Bush. Bush oversaw the country for eight years after 9-11. And a lot of Democrats thought 9-11 was an inside job. And they knew that Republicans did it, that it was a Republican project. And a lot of them hoped and expected that Obama, you know, hopey, changey, was going to come in and be honest about it. But just like his stuff with Eric Holder, like instead of doing the right thing, he covered it up or, you know, whatever. He did the wrong thing. So Sunstein went and worked for Obama to keep, to try to get rid of the conspiracy theories around 9-11. And this paper talks about where, where conspiracy theories come from, why they catch on, what, if the government should do something about it, 
And if so, what what should the government do? And the reason I find it interesting is that a lot of the things he suggested, what we have now, 20 years later, not 20 years after this, but 20 years after 9-11, is even, even worse than his wildest hopes. So he comes up with some ideas and he's like, well, this will never work and that'll never work. Uh, so we'll have to go with this stuff. And, and now it's all happening. It's all happening. And I think that, that, that the way they literally changed the world so that discourse, dialogue, opinion, and ultimately behavior could be much more highly controlled. That's kind of my overview of this. What Did you have any – am I missing yeah. anything? Well, just the only thing that I kept, kept thinking about was like he's the intellectual justification for um, basically like their their kind of intellectual tyranny sort of thing where he will say something like in an open society, we're going to have to do it like X. But in a closed society, we'd have to do it like this. But sometimes things can be so bad that we're going to have to do it anyway. So like the intellectuals always have to be there to give that justification so they can. I guess they have to tell themselves it's okay to do the things that they do. And oh my gosh. That's funny because he wrote an, an article, or I guess it's a book that I was not going to buy, um, called the ethics of influence government yeah. in the age of behavioral science. He also wrote no. a book that is not cited in his biography at Harvard called democracy and the problem of free speech. I guess Oof. they're, they're not promoting Oof. those titles. Yeah. So it's very clear where he comes from. And it's interesting you bring up the open society thing because in the beginning of the paper, so the paper that to the extent I want to talk about is like basically three parts, like where does it come from? Should the government do anything and what should they do? So part of the thing of where does it come from is, well, what he says is because we have an open society, you can't really keep secrets even at the highest levels. So I don't need to debunk 9-11 for you, dear reader, because we have an open society. There's no way that the secret narrative could be the correct one or it would have been exposed mm -hmm. by now. So he offers no evidence of how he distinguished because he also says some conspiracy theories are correct, like in Arab countries when they're worried about their leaders, they're right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. when we're worried about our leaders, we are not right. So uh, so he goes into that, how the open society kind of presupposes that there's no, no s secretiveness and, and then he goes on to say, the reason you get conspiracy theories is this crippled epistemology, which is, I guess, how you get knowledge, epistemology. I forget the exact title. Of, I'm sure people listening are like, she doesn't know what epistemology, <laughs> whatever, it has to do with knowledge. So he says that conspiracy theorists, consumers of, he also distinguishes between suppliers and demanders. So there are suppliers of conspiracy theories, which I guess we would be, yeah. And consumers of conspiracy <laughs> Happy theories. Happy supplier. Is, yeah. And, yeah. But we're also consumers and our listeners are also consumers. So we're all kind of suppliers and consumers, but he tries to distinguish those. And then he says that what happens is there is the um, epistemological, the crippled epistemology is where people have very little information and the information they have is wrong. And my, yeah. my first objection is that that if an open society means that there's all the information is out there, then how could there be any conspiracy theories in, in this world? You know, now they've made it so that we are in silos. So I could see him, 
I think they've actually created what they're saying is the causal problem because they mm-hmm. weaponize these things. But so there's that problem. And then he also opens with 49% of New Yorkers think that the government, the U.S. government had something to do with, at the very least, let it happen on purpose, 9-11. So 49% of New Yorkers think the government, at the very least, let it happen on purpose. And this guy is saying that in an open society, there's plenty of information and no secrets, and that for you to believe something like that, you have to have very little information, and it's wrong. And I just, just right out of the gate, this guy's, my BSR is through the roof. Yeah, that's wild. I wonder just how accurate that number is, if it really was 49%. And it's it's sad because, I mean, those generations are sort of like dying off or, well, not really, but it's like we, we have these new generations now that just take everything as a given. So like even my generation, for the most part, like I'm a millennial, but definitely the Zoomers, they're just taught what they're told about 9-11 and that's it. I've I've had the same experience. I've noticed the same thing. My mother listens to Fox News, which is just, you know, she doesn't believe in dinosaurs, but she is a dinosaur. So she she believes in Fox News or she actually does like Newsmax and OAN because Trump made her not like Fox News anymore because they were not so like there's something there too. But my generation, I'm Gen X and we were the ones who were awakened to the internet in real time. And just like they used to have to have censorship in movies to get movie theaters into little towns, they had to have no censorship of the internet to get us to believe it, to trust it, to welcome it, to open it, because that's where we could get information that we just never got before. So I feel like my entire generation is the only generation who really saw it all. Like was like, Oh my gosh, who doesn't know about JFK? Who doesn't know that nine 11 was an inside job? But then my kids don't, yeah. don't what, I mean, I can get through sometimes, but they either are unaware. I mean with me, but it's their generation unaware or don't want to know because the social consequences are great. And he talks about that kind of thing too, both in this conspiracy theories and in his more recent work. I know we were talking about this before, but I'm not sure I said it on the air that Cass Sunstein headed up the behavioral insights group for the world health organization in order to get people to take the vaccine. This was the, I have a report here from October, 2020 about how to get people to take the vaccine. And a big part of it, one third of their three legged stool is the social pressure. And, and, and that is something that in the conspiracy theory book, he says is a bad thing that leads to misinformation and disinformation. But clearly by the time these vaccines roll around, he has absolutely made it into an art or made it into a science and is exploiting it. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, the very first page, so we started on page 14, they were talking about like, they don't want us to communicate because they're saying if these people that are conspiratorial minded, they start to communicate, they start to like build off each other and they start to reinforce their beliefs and they get stronger in their beliefs. And then, um, yeah, and it, it's just really interesting the way that they talk about it. And so they want to keep us separated and they want to keep us, but I don't think that that's possible anymore. So it almost feels like, because this was like 2008, you said, right, that things have like shifted at this point, because now that they, they put us in our own weird little circles, I guess, and they, they let us have our little echo chambers, because it seems like maybe what they want is different or has changed. 
I think maybe the way they were looking at it was they they want to coordinate off. They can handle a certain amount of dissent, but they don't want it to bleed over. I've heard of that before. Like when the CIA comes and watches your movie and tells you how to edit it, they're like, you can you can use this scene in another movie, but you can't use it in this one. Well, it's why they let us on Telegram, but not on Twitter. Right. They let oh, us go hard on Telegram. But <laughs> okay, so what they talk about in this is how much more effective but more dangerous and difficult it is to approach this in real life. And I've seen, I saw a government document, an army document from 2001, which said the same thing, like, holy cow, being in an online chat room, so much easier to be a mole or a troll than it is in real life. And they could kill you in real life or any of that. So I feel like they, during lockdown, they did a couple of things. One is they made the public square all digital. And then yeah. they made the meeting rooms for dissent telegram, like the fringe, the fringe thing, or they gave everybody a fringe thing. So they really, I think made a science out of this. They, they looked at this behavioral, these behavioral insights. And that's another thing that I find really fascinating about this. People say like, you're a conspiracy theorist. You think they're really conspiring. This is a proof of conspiracy because they're conspiring. They're doing research to say how they can suppress any objection to the official narrative. I mean, this is a, not only proof of a conspiracy, but it's proof that they use psychological understanding methods mm -hmm. to, to manipulate us. And that when they're doing that in real time, they're collecting the feedback. They're actually conducting the experiment while they unfold the experiment. So as he implemented these things for 9-11 truth, clearly they learned from it in anticipation of COVID, for example. And then he himself went into the COVID thing and made the recommendations 13 years after he wrote this. Yeah. So I, I'll give you an example, real life example. So at, at the beginning, they're talking about how like these conspiratorial groups will have like some wishy-washy folks or like some people that are like half believers, like they'll like consider the idea and some of those guys might fall off and then the the group gets more radical and things like that. And so then he's also talking how there has to be like infiltrators. So like the government will have these people infiltrate and then like either steer movements or discredit them. And so like a great example, I think Adam actually talks about, uh, has mentioned this. It's like, um, so shout out to Adam. Uh, but like we, um, like, so some of those telegram groups were like really awesome and were like really about like truth and about like anti-masking and, and like catching up the government and their bullshit and their lies and all that, all that fun stuff. And then within like, like a couple months, they were like spewing actual Nazi propaganda like they, it actually turned white supremacists and things like that. And so it, it like discredit the entire thing. And like some of the weirdos stayed on and then like incorporated that into their weird beliefs and stuff like that. And so it's this weird, like getting the pigs in the mud. That's yeah. excellent. I, there are a few things I want to pull on there. First of all, I do want to shout out Adam from Deborah gets red pilled uh, because he kind of makes a, uh, like a whole podcast around dipping into false flags. And I'm hoping that I can do one with him, a false flag flashback from something. He's, he's probably young like you, but although I met him, he is young. So I know he's young like you, but I, he'll have to do a little research. I can do a lot of this from memory, to be honest. But those people in there, I coined the phrase taint agent. 
which I think is hilarious. So they're taint agents um, in there, but it folds right exactly into the punchline of this whole document, which is cognitive infiltration. So what I want to read to you is probably the most quoted. This is actually this paragraph on page 14. Like you said, 14 is where it says what the government should do. And then there's about eight pages of that. But this paragraph is reproduced on Cass Sunstein's wiki page without any um, apology or explanation. And I have actually seen a clip of someone asking Cass Sunstein about this article that he wrote and him saying he did not recall having written it, which is pretty funny. <laughs> so anyway, but wiki clearly recalls him having written it. But I think it's really important to read this one paragraph. It says, what can government do about conspiracy theories? Uh, among, among the things it can do, what should it do? So it already decide, It already says, should we ignore conspiracy theories because they're not important? If they're not true, how can they hurt us? And then they say, well, when, you, when, you, when people believe conspiracy theories like the government has been infiltrated by, I don't know, communists or something, then they'll do some... some really dangerous, destructive thing like Oklahoma City. And for me, every time, and it happens more times than not, 99% of the time, they cite an event to prove what they're saying, and that event is a false flag. I mean, that's proof that yeah. this stuff doesn't really happen because they don't have any real examples. Yeah, 100%. That was the first thing that I kept thinking. It was like, well, so that was actually a thought and I, and I almost wrote it down, but I was driving, so I couldn't. It was just like the way that they're describing this, they're saying that like there could be a small fringe of people. If we allow the, this conspiracy theory to exist, there's going to be a very small fringe minority group that will take this too serious and they're going to take something into their own hands and do something about it. And so they mention like Oklahoma City, which to me is also very question questionable, totally. you know, things like that. And they'll mention all these. Yeah, they mentioned that. And so I was just thinking it was like, man, it's almost as if they – need to make this happen because people aren't psychopaths. Like for the most part, right. people aren't, aren't psycho. But so the only people that are actually like willing to hurt and kill other people are complete sociopath psychopaths, like serial killers or weirdos that end up getting into government. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, serial killers might've been a bit yeah. of a psyop also where they over. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, over-attributed murders to one thing. And also, if people are wondering about OKC, just start by reading the letter that the New York Times published that Timothy McVeigh wrote to his sister. So just Google that, read that. And this is why I think that 9-11 was a watershed moment in uh, media suppression. So that letter was published by the New York Times prior to 9-11, obviously, because OKC was prior and because that was, I think they had to address it because they, they couldn't just discredit people who had real information like that, where he tells her that he was pulled out of training to do some <laughs> undercover work in the U.S. But so what they say that, um, and also you're right, people aren't psychopaths. What we have is thousand, m many thousands of years, ha over many thousands of years has emerged our foundational law, which is based on society and human nature. So they're saying we need new laws. We need new legal architectures. It's only, it's, it's not because of us. <laughs> it's, that's not our fault. So what they said is we would like to ignore it, but it's dangerous. So what do we do? Well, we can't just, we can't just address the ones that are um, dangerous 
or scare us because that would be a big tell that they're dangerous and it would legitimize them. And it would also get people to think that a lot of people believe it and it could really backfire on us. So what we need to do, we can't ignore them because of OKC, but what we need to do is, uh, is refute or engage with, with all of them. Any conspiracy theory we find, we should refute or engage so that no one can highlight the ones that we are scared of. And I, I added a couple of kind of axioms that that's the right word where we would, they probably create some, you know, they create some kooky ones so that people will, you know, so, so it just seems kooky. And then also when it is easy to debunk and I've noticed this, they don't actually debunk something thoroughly. Like when they're writing an article to convince you, they don't really go through like a good source. This is the evidence because they don't want you to get used to that. And it goes into detail here about how that contrast, not that specific one, but a contrast between one you ignore and one you address. They, they care. They take all these things into account. So we sound kooky when we examine media like this, but they admit that's how they approach it. Yeah, 100%. And they're, they're not looking. So the people that they're trying to convince that this is fake aren't the type of people that are actually going to look at the source material and look at it for themselves or else they'd be us. So they don't even address those issues for the most part when they're fact checking. They'll take like a small little piece of it and they'll be like, oh, therefore, fact check false. And, and a piece <laughs> that they might have inserted as we're about exactly. to find out. So let me read exactly. the paragraph now of what you should do. So this is they're saying now that you've got you're going to address the conspiracy theories, you cannot the government itself cannot just come out and rebut it, because even if we could totally prove our point, which they don't at any point actually try to do, even if we could totally prove our point, conspiracy theories are what's called self-sealing. So anything the government says, the conspiracy theory is going to weave into a rebuttal that that the government set up straw men, which they're doing, you know, which this says they are going to do. So that the government, their rebuttal is wrong. And the fact that they're rebutting proves that they're worried. So the whole thing is we have to do this surreptitiously, even though we're in an open society and in an open society, the government doesn't lie to its people. We're going to because we're worth it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so here are the proposed government responses. What can government do about conspiracy theories? And of the things it can do, what should it do? Uh, we can imagine a series of possible responses. He goes through five. One, government might ban conspiracy theorizing. I want to get back to these. I'm going to read it and then get mm -hmm. back to it. Two, government might impose some kind of tax, financial or otherwise, on those who disseminate such theories. Three, government might itself engage in counter speech, marshalling arguments to discredit conspiracy theories. That's literally, that's called white propaganda, by the way. Uh, four, government might formally hire credible private parties to engage in counter speech. I believe that's would be maybe gray. Uh, propaganda government might engage, this is number five, might engage in informal communication with such parties, encouraging them to help. So they can either do it themselves, they can hire someone to do it, outsource it publicly, or they can go behind the scenes and influence a private party that appears to have no connection with the government. 
So it says each one has costs and benefits, and uh, each one could have a place under some imaginable conditions. However, our main policy idea is that government should engage in uh, a mix of three, four, and five called cognitive infiltration of the groups that produce conspiracy theories. Cognitive infiltration. They want to get inside your head if you're in one of these groups. So he's talking about three, four, and five. But I want to go back to one and two for a second. So he says that basically one and two, one being banning it, banning conspiracy theories, and two being taxing them financially or otherwise, that those things are not possible in an open society for political and legal reasons. He says that. But we have both of those now. Mm-hmm. And so, they have the private sector doing it. That's and what so I'm they saying. They have your hands off. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you notice that too. It says government might ban conspiracy theorizing. Yeah. I mean, if, it's why I get strikes on YouTube and <laughs> exactly. Right. And I got yeah. deplatformed from WordPress and people. Uh, so, so you are, when we get deplatformed, first, first, what they had to do is get everybody in the Digiverse. That's the public square now, so they can completely control it. And they had to, so they first had LifeLog, which was a government operation, and then it it closed down the day Facebook emerged, because then it's private. And I've been saying that all along. Like, they, they're not, you can't, as a libertarian, you can't be like, it's a private enterprise, because it's not. It's either been created by them or infiltrated by them. That's like, what should we call it? Institutional infiltration. They've done that with the private sector, institutional infiltration. So they absolutely ban them, absolutely. And then the second thing, government might impose some kind of tax, financial or otherwise, on those who disseminate such theories. Can you, I mean, did that ring a bell to you? Well, I mean, well, yeah, yeah, in a few different ways. I mean, well, they can shut down like your bank accounts for different things. Like, but they can also, I mean, as far as like social credit sort of things that they're trying to trying to bring about right now and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And demonetizing and cancel yeah, culture. Exactly. Demonetizing yeah, so and cancel culture. Cancel yeah. culture is is a tax on what you say. It's a financial tax on what you say. So deplatforming is the banning and cancel culture, in my opinion, is the tax. So or demonetizing. I mean that's the thing. I'm on YouTube. Well I they just just strikes at this point. But but I used to, when I tried to monetize, I got demonetized. So it's definitely, that stuff is in play and it, and they did it all by riling up the mob, by having everything private, by, um, using these nudges, by using social media, by using TikTok to tell, to tell people have nothing to do because of lockdown to demand, you know, to hold people accountable, like to individually from your bedroom, hold people accountable, you know, So I found that like his wildest dreams have come true. So those were the three things that they do. And one, I have to read this one line. He, what he's talking about, how are these, is it worth combating this conspiracy theories? Like, are they really dangerous or whatever? And he, and he writes, perhaps only a handful of kooks believe that U S government officials had any kind of role in the events of nine 11, and I'm thinking 49% of New Yorkers thought they had it out. Yeah. That is not a handful yeah. of kooks. Like he just keeps, uh, anyway, so I don't want to get too far ahead. What else did you, what were your earlier thoughts? Am I missing anything? Should I keep, I think I, I think I like skip five pages. 
Yeah, yeah, but I have things written down here. It's like, so they can't attack the beliefs head on. They have to infiltrate to be effective. And then it says, when the groups polarize, they radicalize. They double down, separate wheat from the chaff. Okay, so paranoia, that's when they talk about how the paranoia and the distrust ensues. And that's when they will absolutely not take anything the government says, which I mean, is obvious. Like, I, it's so funny. While I was reading this, I was like, okay, like you did that. Like I would, I would just, yeah. Because yeah, so they're, why, they're liars. I mean, why uh, he never addresses why there's such a crisis in confidence of the government, the media, uh, academia, even that, that in what he's calling an open society, we have the same kind of distrust, same kind of um, limited and bad information that they have in these, these, like he just keeps using as a touchstone Muslim countries as like the place where it's super oppressive and people are radicalized of limited information. And um, it was the hot ticket at the time. Yeah. Well, this is, I mean, he doesn't say that it's about nine 11, but it's clearly about nine 11 because he says in the beginning, like people think Israel did it. I didn't realize people thought Israel did it for like years. Yeah. It's, you know, I just, I never, I always thought it was Dick Cheney, but, uh, so he's addressing that specifically. And I know he's kind of showing his hand a little bit. Yes. And then, (laughs) so all of this stuff is coming out as, uh, you know, and that is how they do it too. Like with common core, they'll say parse this sentence and the sentence will be Obama was the best president. Like they're like, we don't yeah. put content in common core, but it's absolutely true. I've experienced that numerous times to the point of absurdity uh, because you don't have to back up when you, when you use examples that are just the hypothetical examples, it, it gives yeah. me, I don't know if the brain can really tell the difference, but I'm not sure this was for the mass audience. Anyway, this seems like it was for government, you know, for this was meant to formulate a strategy that then a year later he was put in a position of government authority to actually implement. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and then I then I was just thinking of all the funny examples, I guess, of like the government trying to use a trusted person to like distract, keep the lie going, convince others that there was no conspiracy. And like, you know, I'm a little kookier than you, I think, but I think about like Elon Musk, Elon Musk using like SpaceX. I don't think we went to the moon. I don't think we can get to space. I'm I don't think we can get past over. firmament. Like, so this, I don't, I like, don't know if, him sending if we can, a Tesla up into the sky. I'm like, that's some baloney, but that's, it's great to use him. And like the right wing loves Elon Musk and he's the red pill. He's the, he's the billionaire that's on our side. He just know, wants to put so, a chip in your head. So yeah. ridiculous. I know <laughs> I, I'm totally, I'm not a buyer of that, but I, the only thing about the moon is I did see once in the sky out here. I was visiting. It was, I don't know if it was after I moved here or when I was just looking for places. Uh, there was something crazy in the sky and nobody was talking about it. And I went and I looked up like, what was in the sky in this place? And it was a SpaceX thing, which was obviously using a new kind of fuel. And because it was a streak in the sky that was like, it was fluorescent, you know, it was head lacked yellow. It didn't have any yellow in it. Like a combustion engine might leave a trail that had something yellow. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking about my butt, but it looked artificial. And it just reminded me that Werner von Braun, I guess it was, said that he wouldn't work on a moon thing because you couldn't get to the moon and back because of the weight of the fuel. So until you come up with a new fuel, you're not getting, you're not going to do that. So it looks like they came up with a new fuel, 
but I agree with you that we didn't go there. I don't know if we can escape the firmament or not, but yeah, that kind of, that comes up again in this, in this October, 2020 report from the world health organization that if people want to look it up, it's called behavioral considerations for acceptance and uptake of COVID-19 vaccines. And I think the very first recommendation is to get uh, plausible people, trusted people to set the example, to talk to people. Like everybody's seen this or some people have seen this where they'll sit down and talk to you. Why are you vaccine hesitant? And then they'll, they'll like make a point of writing it down in your record in front of you. Like that's all in this document. And it was all done under Cass Sunstein's watch, but I think it came out of this um, conspiracy theory thing. So what you were saying reminds me of uh, another paragraph in here. So they talk about the supply side. They talk about the demand side. They say in, in both cases, whether you're hitting the supply side or the demand side, it's a multi-party game that says government is faced with suppliers of conspiracy theories and might at least in part aim to persuade, de-bias, or silence those suppliers. However, those two players are competing for the hearts and minds of third parties, especially the mass audience of the uncommitted. Expanding the cast further, one may see the game as involving four players, government officials, conspiracy theorists, mass audiences, and independent experts. And this is what this is where he's toying with us. He says, you're laughing. He says, such as mainstream scientists or the editors of Popular Mechanics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what? that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for that, I had Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson written down. And Yes, yeah. yes. I recall, I believe Stacey Abrams had a double major of acting and I think like physics, you know, who Stacey Abrams is. Mm -hmm. So, and I thought she had a double major. She went to a performing arts school, which in itself is pretty telling. And, and she was majoring in like physics. And I'm thinking they were going to make her a TV star. You know, they, they probably like see what people are good at and they, give them some, like um, Alton Brown said that he wanted to have a TV show. So he decided that, I don't know if he had an interest in cooking or maybe even no interest in cooking, but he just felt like that was an opportunity and he was going to do it. And he'd always intended from what I read to do that. So it seems like they get ahead of that stuff and they do create people for those roles. Mm -hmm. But later in this thing, it says like people... People point to the Popular Mechanics article that debunks 9-11 as having been written by a guy named Ben Chertoff, who was the cousin who, who was claimed to be but isn't the cousin of Michael Chertoff. So, so they, they planted probably that straw man for the debunkery. 100%. And they actually use in this 2008 article both the fact that Popular Mechanics is their example of an outside party that they would want to secretly influence. And then later, they use it as the example of a crazy conspiracy theorist thinking that Popular Mechanics was influenced by the government because of this wrong clue. Just I mean, like you'd have to be a crazy conspiracy theorist yes. to think that anything was wrong with 9-11 or OKC. Yeah, right. and yeah that, they use the examples of exactly what they did. Yeah, it's it's ultimate gaslighting. It's wild. All of it, yes. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it's just so, most of this article was pretty straightforward, given the audience he's talking to. 
But the idea that he uses that popular mechanics uh, example, just, oh my gosh, it just cracks me up. So they, he goes through how you're going to use all of these different methods and that really the best method is to do it secretly. Otherwise, you risk giving credibility to the purveyors of the conspiracy theories by wasting your time. You, what you want to, what you'd like to do is say this is too ludicrous to rebut. And if you, as the government, come out and rebut this stuff, it it will give it some, lend it some credibility. And that's the that's the biggest reason that they have to disguise themselves deceitfully in this open mm. society where secrets cannot persist. I mean. It's so circular in so many different places. It's like the reason we know 9-11 was not an inside job is because the government does not keep secrets. And the way that we're going to keep people from thinking it's a 9-11 inside job by creating this massive network of fake people made of government agents and expect that never to get out. As I publish this in the open society of exactly what we're doing, I mean... Yeah, to end the conspiracy <laughs> theorist. Yeah, to end the conspiracy theorist. We are going to hire all of these people to. We're going to form a conspiracy to infiltrate all these conspiracy theorists. Yeah, it's wild. Right, <laughs> and and our only argument that they are wrong and we are right is that conspiracies don't exist in an open society. And then there was one where it was like, except for the one where Bush said that Saddam Hussein had something to do with 9-11, conspiracy theorists think that he he lied about that. And yeah. he might have. He might have. But a future administration, like a Democrat, who might want to out him on that, would have to think twice because it would reduce the credibility of government and promote the idea that conspiracy theories are sometimes right. So we should probably continue to bury that one. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just another thing where like, we wouldn't tell you even if it was true. That is so funny too, because I mean, to us, that might actually lend to some credibility if they actually came and admitted things like that. But I guess to like weird normies, like the people, well, I want these people to change their mind, so I'm not going to be too mean to them. But like normie folks, it's like they literally do look at government like daddy. And so it's like daddy can't make a mistake. Like I, I like that's my brother-in-law. Like talking to him is infuriating. Oh, because – well, is, yeah. is, I'm just curious. Is he liberal or – Yes, uh, but he's like – no, so he's like – they're both, you know, cause he's a boomer. So he's like, <laughs> they like think they're liberal and they like gay marriage, but they're the most conservative weirdos at the same time. You know, it's like, really, yeah. it's kind of like, um, Fox libertarians. They're basically neocons who believe in abortion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, I'm a neocon, but I'm not religious. So, or whatever, you know, uh, I'm I haven't even find- understood how, yeah, neocons consider themselves conservative in, in any way, shape, or form, really. They're not conservative except they have a stick in their butt. Well, I read a book and I even wrote um, a review of the book called Neoconservatism, the Autobiography of an Idea. And it was written by Irving Crystal, Bill Crystal's dad. Yeah. Bill Crystal, who I believe is the editor of the Weekly Standard, which is very neocon. And Irving Crystal talks about how he had been a neo Trotskyite. And he brought yeah. all of that into the neoconservatives so that he could uh, shape people's opinions about economics and, more important, national defense and be aggressive. He said that just after Vietnam, like America wasn't using, willing to use 
its military might to bully other countries. And that was just unacceptable. And with a little manipulation, you could get the people behind you. I mean, it's a well, crazy book. <laughs> I mean, that's like how, well, I don't know if they, if that was government or not, but I mean, that was an infiltration of like, that was an infiltration of the right. Like, cause we had the paleocons before that that were kind of non-interventionary. And then you had those people like, well, like the Bill Crystal and his, I mean, Irving Crystal and them like go and infiltrate the right and turn it into these a-holes that were like very interventionary. And I think they, joined up with the religious right, which used to, those evangelicals used to not have political, they wouldn't advocate for politics. And once you do that, like you've, and he wrote in that book, Irving Kristol wrote, we need to, we need to absorb them or they will be a force outside of our force. We need to absorb the religious right so that they don't find another home. And another thing about that was, so when you get to that religious stuff, when you get to centralized economic control, when you get to using military might to uh, bully the outsiders, you probably get more to a kind of, quote, right of a European nature, not our right. Like a conservative position in this country, in my opinion, is the opposite of a conservative position in Europe because conservative means just to the past, conserve the past. Our past was based on classical liberalism, the American experiment of liberty. Yeah, that was hard left wing, yeah, in Europe for sure. Yes, and in Europe it's monarchy. So in Mm -hmm. Europe they still call conservative, like fiscal conservatives, they call libertarians liberals. Yeah. So like when they say neoliberalism, they're not talking about the bastardization of, you know, the, the stolen term of liberal socialism. They're talking about a kind of colonizing mercantilism, in my yeah. opinion. But we're really getting off off track. We, I want <laughs> to. Well, I just thought it was funny when we were talking about it. I highlighted a section from earlier in the document where it says he wants to define he wants to define conspiracy theories. So he talks about ones that were not true and ones that were true. And I just want to tick them all off. And let's say we, we do kind of a lightning round, maybe wrap up the show. I don't like to go too long on a weekday. Okay. He says, uh, a conspiracy theory can generally be counted as such if it is an effort to explain some event or practice by reference to the machinations of powerful people who have also managed to conceal their role. Okay, so machinations of powerful people who have managed to conceal their role. So what I always say is, do you really think that what's happening in the halls of power is live streamed on Fox? Is that really what you think? So well, he's saying that you think there are holes of power <laughs> and that it's not live streamed on Fox. <laughs> what an idiot you are. So uh, anyway, so that's his, that my position that there are holes of power and it's not live streamed on Fox makes me a conspiracy theorist. Fine. Um, but let me just take these things off and um, maybe I'll mix them up and see which ones that he says are real and what aren't. Okay. Um. The Central Intelligence Agency was responsible for the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Does he say that's true or false? Well, he's going to clearly say that was false, but my God, is it true? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, right. Okay. How about um, this one? Operation Northwoods was a, a plan rumored to have been put out by the Defense Department to simulate acts of terrorism and blame them on Cuba. 
I mean, that is so clearly true and documentedly true that if he says it's false, I mean, he's just showing his hand. So he probably is going to say it's false. I'm assuming he's going to say that. But he's going to say know. what? That it you, that it's not true. I'm, oh, I'm, did, but he did say it was true. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah. He said it really was proposed by high level officials, so the plan never went into effect. Um, he said, "Okay, let's keep going." Uh, did the CIA, in fact, administer LSD and related drugs in an effort to investigate the possibility of mind control? I mean, I. He's probably, I think he's going to tell the truth and say that that was true. Yeah. He does. Okay. Um, the 1996 crash of TWA Flight 800 was caused by a U.S. military missile. No way he's going to say that's true. <laughs> he does not. Um, the Trilateral Commission has a, an outsized influence on the international economy. He's got to say that's true. False. Wow. He says that's false. Um, uh, the plane crash that killed Paul Wellstone was engineered by uh, politicians. I actually, I'm showing my age. Yeah, I, I didn't no know. Idea. I had to look that one up. Okay, so the rest of them are kind of easy. So I'll tell you. Uh, we'll just we'll take them off. The moon landing was staged and never actually occurred. So you're gonna say that's true or false? He's gonna say that that's false, but yeah, we know it's true. Um, the do doctors deliberately manufactured the AIDS virus. I believe that. Yeah, he's gonna. Have to say <laughs> yeah, false. I don't actually that. think yeah. there is an AIDS virus. Talk about down the. I don't think uh, there is no virus. Let's have a My conversation about that later. Died yeah. AZT poisoning and they. My stepdad, same thing. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. yeah. He, he was diagnosed with AIDS and had no symptoms, my brother. And they gave him this class X drug and he died at, of it. He said it was the drug. It was the AZT. The exact same story. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. I've never met anybody who's who knew someone who died of AIDS, quote, who didn't actually who didn't take AZT. Let's just say that. Kind of like COVID. I asked people, like, do you know anybody who died of COVID not in the hospital? No. Nope. Nope. So, okay. Um, he says, let's see what else I was missing. So CIA uh, did assassinate Kennedy or was at least in on it. And every single president since then has been in on it, in my opinion. But he says that's false. Uh, the AIDS thing he says is false. TWA definitely hit by a missile. He says that's false. Um, he said the theory of global warming is a deliberate fraud. Totally. He says that's false. Trilats are important. Uh, international economy, he says that's false. Martin Luther Jr. King Jr. was killed by federal agents. Oh, come on. Obviously, he's going to say that's yeah. false. <laughs> and he does. Um, let's see what else. The Watergate hotel room used by the DNC was bugged by Republican officials on behest of the White House. I actually <laughs> don't. It wasn't at behest of the White House. He says that that's true, but it isn't true. Do you know the story of Watergate? Nixon didn't know about that. He only the only reason he went down is because he he they told somebody to him up, on it. Right? Yes, that's all. Yeah. And it wasn't it was he was winning by a landslide and he did win by a landslide. They were they I think they were investigating like prostitution that was happening over there. I don't know, something like that or maybe worse. It might have been something even more sinister. It could have had something to do with the covering up the JFK assassination for all I know, because Nixon did that. Uh, OK. 
He says um, the last of his true ones is in 1947, space aliens did, in fact, land in Roswell, New Mexico, and the government covered it up. And he admits to that one. <laughs> then he writes in French, <laughs> did you say that's says, true? He says, well, maybe not. He yeah. puts a little humor in there. He puts that yeah. on the list of true things, and then he kind of backpedals a little bit. But I just thought it was funny because every, I would say nine out of the, maybe he has 10 things here. And I would say that he says half of them are true, half of them are false. And I'm saying that they're basically all true or false yeah. or whatever. Like they're all, all the conspiracy theories are the better explanations. Yeah. I guess the last little things that I was writing down here, if we just, uh, it, to me, it kind of feels like, um, well, one thing that I thought was funny too, is he talks about, how he when they infiltrate these people they add cognitive diversity that like um messes with the groups and i just thought that was a funny way of describing it it was like a weaponized cognitive diversity that they add to the groups um that was funny and but then they're also like to me this is like the justification for turning us into uh like the terrorists now Right. And so this is like that's what I just like wrote wrote down as like um, like with these groups, they are trying to radicalize us and they're trying to push us so far and they're trying to get people to snap. They're trying to get these little individual yes. cells and groups to snap. And uh, I had that same comment that he explains exactly how it happens that people get radicalized. They believe in conspiracy theories. He said it's because. They don't have access to information. They don't trust their government. And I actually, I, I can't see where, yes, I find, I find that quote. It says, this was even before the, the section that you were reading. So you, you nailed it. I'll read this. It says, consider here the, the suggestive fact that terrorism is more likely to arise in nations that lack civil rights and civil liberties. An evident reason for the connection is that terrorism is an extreme form of political protest. And when people lack the usual outlets for registering their protest, they might resort to violence. So we have that. They're doing that to us right now. And that is why you're getting kind of domestic. You're not getting domestic terrorism, though. Like they were trying to provoke it with January 6th and they didn't get it, which is why I think the footage of the atrocities, it took months for them to reveal them because they were hoping to provoke it and have real ones. And they got none. And I predicted that, too. I was like, they're never getting Republicans to get violent. They're just law and order people. They're not doing it. Like, I thought they were going to let Trump win because they wanted unrest and they were only going to get that out of Democrats. But they tried to get it. They could not get it. I could have told them that. And then it, that's why it took months for them to come up with something which I thought at that point was totally staged. But here, I'll continue. It says, consider an, another possibility in addition to this lack of civil rights and this extreme form of protest. When civil rights and civil liberties are restricted, little information is available and what comes from government cannot be trusted. So there, so when we all talk about media bias and all of that, if the trustworthy information justifies conspiracy theories and extremism and therefore violence, then terrorism is more likely to arise. And what I wrote on the side is interesting because they, trademark, are provoking domestic terror. And that's what 100%. they are saying. This document, it did two things. It got them set up for future things like what they're doing now. And it also articulated the, the levers that they were going to weaponize to actually create. You know, it's a different world now. Now they want unrest. They decided, they probably decided the way 
Russia decided they could not suppress religion, they probably said, you know, we can't suppress this, so we're going to embrace it. We're going to exploit yeah. it. We're going to infiltrate Control it. We're going to weaponize it. So that sounds like a thread we can pick up at another time. I think we, I think that was pretty rapid fire. I think we did yeah. good. That was right. fun. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me. That was awesome. If you want to pick a topic on uh, a false flag flashback, I'm happy to do it with you anytime, Nate. And why don't you just quickly tell people where they can find you? Sure. Um, you can find us, I think, on just about any podcatcher. We are Reality Czars Podcast. Um, you can find us also on Rockfin. Please support us over there. You can find us on YouTube, but we don't like YouTube. So, uh, yeah, and we just made a Bigfoot documentary. That's a lot of fun. And uh, so, yeah, come and check us out. Show us some love. And Excellent. all of my listeners can always email me. I always give that out to people. I hang out with my listeners. I get beers with them. I love hanging out with my listeners. So it's realitiesars at gmail.com. Thank you so much. You can find me on Twitter at Monica Perez Show, and you can listen to all my stuff commercial free on Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform.